You're listening to the Totally Useless Information Podcast on the Nick and Roy channel. Subscribe and share. Every day, there are how many acts of intercourse? My goodness, I was just about (laughs) to ask you, do you know any loose cannons? Are we talking about the same thing? I'm Nick. (laughs) And I'm Roy. And every week, we scour the internet to find information we really don't need or do you so join us this week as we talk about food we talk about inventions a little bit of sex and a little bit of expressions on totally useless information it's everything you never needed to know by listening once a week you get smarter than you think the Totally Useless Information Podcast, hosted by Nick and Roy. And hello there. Once again, welcome to the Totally Useless Information Podcast. I'm a little hungry. Hey, everybody. Come and get it. Your weekly sweet and savory facts with your five-star Michelin chefs of Totally Useless Information, Nick and Roy. Come and get it! Oreos. I love Oreos. That's the cookies you dunk in milk. You love Oreos? I like the double stuff, and I like to take them apart. And then put two double stuffs together Mm -hmm. with just two of the dark uh, cookie. The signature milkiness of that Oreo filling that you're talking about could be attributed to actual milk in its formula. And sometimes it has a cream cheese base. Sometimes? Sometimes. But most often, Oreo's cookie filling is made mostly of Crisco. Yes, Crisco. The pan greaser has as much delightful consistency that Nabisco loved it so much, they decided to add this Crisco-type stuff, add a load of sugar to the fat, and then dunk it in milk. So Oreo filling is nothing more than sugarized Crisco. Yeah, well, margarine is too. I mean, people are, oh, it tastes just like butter. I can't believe it's not butter. You can't believe it. Wait, you see what's in it. Milt. Milt. It's used around the world, and it's a delicious delicacy. Know what it is? I do. You know why? So <laughs> we, did. we have to explain this every time we do this. Roy and I do not tell each other what we're going to talk about, right? So I have Milt on my list, but I think I have something you don't. So you tell the audience, what is Milt? Milt is a delicacy from around the world. It is fish sperm. Now, I wonder, how do they get Milt? Do they get a whole bunch of salmon excited? Do they, you know, rub a salmon's belly for a long period of time? I mean, how do you get the Milt? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So now, since you have milk and so do I, okay, I have a recipe for milk. I bet you don't have that, do you? Oh, go with it. There you go. Here's a nice recipe. So you treat milk like a nice piece of calf's liver, heat a cast iron, iron pan until it's smoking hot, just like the fish. When you want to talk about sperm, you go heat it up till it's smoking hot. <laughs> and salt and lightly dredge the melt in flour. Pan Ooh. fry the melt for one minute only for, on each side, just for a minute, until the surface is crisp and golden brown. Serve with rice and a wedge of lemon. They'll be mm-hmm. coming back for more. It's big on Navy ships. They're, they're semen. 
Okay. The most expensive ice cream sundae. Okay. It, I, I did my research. The most expensive ice cream sundae can be found at a restaurant called Serendipity 3 in New York City. I think that's crazy. Serendipity 3. If it's serendipity, it should just be serendipity because if you did it a second time, it would still be serendipity. Third right. time, still serendipity. But but I, I digress. <laughs> it's in New York City. This ice cream sundae consists of Tahitian vanilla ice cream with a 23-carat gold leaf that you can eat, almonds, caviar, and sugar-encrusted orchids, all edible. It takes eight hours to make, and it costs $350 served in a Baccarat crystal bowl with an 18-carat gold spoon. See me? I would go steal the Baccarat crystal bow and the spoon. Right. <laughs> it's worth a hell of a lot more than three fifty. dollars of, of course, you're one of those rich kids who were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Do you make homemade bread by chance? Uh, actually, we, we've been doing a lot of that with the whole quarantining thing. We've been making pizza dough and banana breads. Deb's been making all kinds of stuff. I'm not a, I'm a great cook, but a bad baker, so... All right, so your wife is the baker. If you have home-baked bread, it's most likely to turn moldy a lot faster than the stuff that you buy in the store, which makes sense, right? Because the stuff in no the store has preservatives, preservatives, right? Is anyone, well, if you guessed that, congratulations. No, you're not a chef. You are, Roy, but the audience is not. It's easy. But the particular preservative in the bread is what's interesting. It's an amino acid called L-cystocene which is found in hog and human hair, cow horns, mm -hmm. and duck feathers. Wow. It's an oily yeah. liquid similar to the grease on your scalp, though you can't taste it when eating a, some Wonder Bread. Okay? It's an amino yeah. acid called L-cysteine, found in dog and human hair, cow horns, and duck feathers. Right, and if, if L-arginine is, is another amino acid that a lot of people take, but if you... L-cysteine is a precursor to L-arginine when you're taking amino acids. So without L-cysteine, you can't absorb L-arginine. So, so this you know, section turned into a science section. I, I but, learned it from yeah. a Spanish guy named El Pico, who... <laughs> 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 so Pez candy is originally from Germany. And it, it was derived from the word pfefferminzen, which, of course, means peppermint. Okay? It was originally designed to help people stop smoking in the 1920s. The slogan for Pez was, Schmarking is prohibited and Pezing is allowed. <laughs> so that was the actual slogan for the candy. It's amazing that it ever made it to begin with, but it was a peppermint small little peppermint that was taken out of a little dispenser. And, of course, then they started making cartoon characters of it and flavors and so on. But amazing enough, Germany, 1920s, Pez. Schmarking is prohibited and Pezing is allowed. The kitchen is now closed. Join us next time on the Totally Useless Information Podcast for more sweet and savory morsels of useless food information. See you real soon!
Totally Useless Information Podcast, available now on IGTV, Instagram TV, on Facebook, and the, yeah. U- and the Nick and Roy channel on YouTube. Innovation. Ideas. Inventions. Ooh. If you would like for us, Roy and I, to investigate and uh, research some inventions on your behalf, send us an email, as a couple of people have, so thank you. Podcast at Outlook.com. Yes, and also we're going to be coming up with a thing for birthdays in the future that you guys are going to want to really hear about. We've been doing it, and it's crazy, crazy. Yes. We do lots of people love it. We do a whole um, totally useless information thing for people's birthdays. Which right, it's really a nice good. surprise, and it's reasonably priced too. So we'll, we'll talk about that real, real people soon. People don't know about it, Nick. So I don't want to. I don't want to tell them about it or get them excited about it. About the totally useless information birthday message. Yeah, it's like a birthday card, but better. Oh, you know? Right. People are paying $12 for a damn birthday card. What the hell is that about? Yeah, we're worth at least $12. Yeah, yeah, sure. So what are we doing, inventions? Yeah, that's what the lady said, inventions. Oh, well, I got all new inventions this time. I don't have oh. any old stuff. This is all new stuff that you can actually purchase now. Okay. So... It's just in via China Smack. What the the source is China Smack, mm-hmm. a company called Happy One, because you know the Chinese they have to say totally insignificant, ridiculous words and put them in as their company has invented an anti pervert stocking, which looks like incredibly hairy legs when you put them on. They're literal pantyhose that have hair all over them. And so they feel that they said that it's so disgusting that even a molester won't want to go near you. The hairy legs, and I saw a picture of it, it is grotesquely disgusting. It looks like ape legs, but whatever. <laughs> what was the guy's first, what was the guy's name who invented it? Harry? Harry Leg. Harry. Uh, the barcode, you know, you, you see the barcodes all the time. It was a Thursday morning when the first unique sticker of white and black lines facilitated the purchase of the very first item that was scanned with the barcode, a 10-pack of Juicy Fruit Gum from the Wrigley yeah. Chewing Gum Company in Chicago. The barcode was scanned at, in case you're wondering, at 8.01 a.m. on June 26, 1974 in Troy, Ohio. The barcode mm-hmm. was invented by Norman Joseph Woodland and Bernard Silver. They patented the barcode in 1951. It was based on the Morse code that was extended to thin and thick bars. However, it took over 20 years before this invention became commercially successful. The barcode. Cool. Cool. I know in Long Island, New York, there was a scanning factory for barcodes. It was like one of the biggest in the, in the world, I believe. Here's another item, folks, an invention that you can buy right now. And I'm sure you're all going to be running like crazy to get it. It's called the Baby Mop. The Baby Baby. Mop, yes, for $40, your child gets to help you do the housework. Yes, it's a baby jumper or what ladies would call a onesie for the child, like a little jumper outfit that has mops attached to it. On the no. stomach area, the inside, the arms, and the legs. And now they throw the kid on the floor, literally, and the kid just toddles around like a little baby does, going crawling all over the floor, 
picking up all kinds of dust and particles on top. It's wonderful for asthmatic babies, I would think. But if 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 you want to go, if you want to go get this, you go to a website called betterthanpants.com, and for forty dollars, you can buy the uh, baby mop jumper. And then I suggest that you go take your meds. Oh, what an acute little adorable newborn. What'd you name it? Swiffer. I don't know what Kevlar is. Kevlar is bulletproof vests, right? It's the material that bulletproof vests are made from. Mm-hmm. It is a heat-resistant, strong synthetic fiber developed by Stephanie Kwolek at DuPont in 1965. The high-strength material was first commercially used in the early 1970s as a replacement for racing tires. Kevlar, of course, has many applications from bicycle tires to racing sails and bulletproof vests. Because of its high strength-to-weight ratio, that's why it's actually stronger than steel. Kevlar. Okay, this one I love, 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 and whoever invented this is a sick bastard. It's (laughs) called the anti-theft Ziploc lunch bag. Now, we all know what a Ziploc lunch bag, you know, it holds a sliced bread type size sandwich, right? Like a white bread type sandwich. Well, this guy is genius. He invented, because I guess he was going to work and they were eating his sandwiches out of the company fridge. So this guy invented each bag has the look of mold in it as like a picture in the the plastic. So now when you put your sandwich in, it looks like an old musty sandwich. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it's great. This is great. Whoever invented this is a really sick psychotic guy. They can be purchased at a site called perpetualkid.com and they really look disgusting, but it's the it's the anti-theft Ziploc lunch bag. It looks like the bread is moldy, so no one will go near it. And based on our previous segment in the food section, it it must be homemade bread because it molds real fast. Sure, sure. That's pretty clever. Doggles. Have you heard of doggles before? No. Oh, dogs? Goggles? Yes. Research has shown that long hours in the sun without adequate eye protection can increase the chances of developing eye disease for your pet. Mm -hmm. The UV absorbent sunglasses and sun goggles can help protect your eyes and the eyes of your pet from sun damage for dogs with a common eye disease called panus p-a-n-n-u-s doggles also provide protection from wind and debris do they get it from playing with their panus yes uh it provides <laughs> protection from the wind and debris whether your dog likes to ride in a sidecar or motorcycle or the back of a pickup they need eye protection ah i've actually seen a dog that rides a motorcycle with the guy in a little box thing in the back. And yeah. he had those doggles on. Yeah. And it exactly. looked like the guy riding the bike had the same ones, but whatever. There you go. And that was... Innovation. Ideas. Inventions. On the Totally Useless Information podcast. Broadcast mm. now, not only through your ears, but also through your eyes. Yay! I'm on TV! You know what? Now that you can see us, don't we look sexy to you? Huh? Oh, yeah. Ooh, Ooh baby. Yeah. Look Ooh, what I'm wearing baby. now. Bow, chicka, bow, wow. Chicka, bow, wow. Bow, chicka, bow, wow. Wow, wow. Oh, yeah. All about sex. <laughs> that is so sick. Now, because we have the lawyers who listen to our podcast, we thank you very much. They reminded us to tell you... 
The following segment of the Totally Useless Information Podcast may be too sultry and too sexy for some listeners. To the rest of you, please keep your hands where we can see them. Nick and Roy are not responsible for any monkey business as a result of this segment. What's your major? In 2014, UC Berkeley had a survey they made they did a survey they found that arts and humanities majors have most mm-hmm. sex science wow. and engineering majors had the least sex hmm. over half of the engineering major respondents were virgins yeah you know why the arts people were drawing naked people all day long and when they got home they were like oh yeah what about yes. wow that's pretty cool though so the engineers but that's always the way it was. I mean, engineers were never exciting people. So, no, they had the uh, the the uh, pocket protectors pocket and the, for the, the pencil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Okay, a study found heterosexual women climax sixty one point six percent of the time. Homosexual women climax seventy four point seven percent of the time. Okay. Bisexual women climax 58% of the time. So this is a lesson. Pick a damn side or you'll be disappointed half the freaking time. Exactly. <laughs> what was the percentage of the uh, of the lesbians? The, the, uh, the... I don't. Uh, the actual percentage was 74.7. And the reason I know that for sure is because I said I don't believe it and I want to see it. So I was forced to watch it. Exactly. exactly. Of course, those particular women were well-read that made them thespian lesbians. <laughs> the Sex Box. There was Ooh. a British TV show called The Sex Box, where couples went into a box on a stage in front of a live studio audience. No. Had sex. The audience didn't see them have sex, okay? They had sex, then came out and talked about the sex that they just had to a panel of sex experts. Well, this is going to tie into something that I have. You say to yourself, well, how the hell could they have a show and have people having sex on the stage, right? I mean, the show's only a half hour or whatever, an hour. Huh? You know, okay. Well, guess what? In the United States, the longest lovemaking, the U.S. states, the states, they did it by state. The longest lovemaking sessions they found were in New Mexico, the state of New Mexico, seven point zero one so seven minutes one second was the timing in west virginia was the second that's five minutes 38 seconds idaho five minutes 11 alaska no idaho alaska no idaho was five minutes 11 seconds south carolina four minutes 48 seconds and then of course it just gets worse from there but really think about this the longest was seven minutes so you say, how could they do this on a show? Well, in a, in a half-hour show, they could get about three sex acts going on in the boxes, you know? They could, you know? I mean, really, honestly. So I didn't believe this. So I did my own study for Florida, and I participated in this study, and we're at one minute, zero seconds. <laughs> you can't time an egg to that, but you can uh, sell two 30-second commercials. The following uh, romantic uh, relations is brought to you by. We've heard of uh, men who've had heart attacks during sex. 
Mm. Although it is rare, right? This is a rare occurrence to having a heart attack during sex. Most of them happen when men are cheating on their wives. Of course it does. They think their wife walked through the door. According to a couple of cardiologists, when heart attacks occur during or after sex, they're almost always involve older men in extramarital affairs with younger women. For those men, it would have been uh, safer for them to stay at home and burn off extra energy on the treadmill in the basement. All right. Let me just stop you for a second. Who is yeah. this scientist? Okay. Of course they were older men. Yeah. Not the 20-year-old kid's going to have a heart attack. Of course it's the 60-year-old guy that picked up the 20-year-old girl on Craigslist or something. <laughs> he thinks his he thinks his wife walked through the doors. He's like, ah! whatever. You mean Kajiji. <laughs> For a good time, Kajiji me. Every single day. Yes. There's about this is my teaser, by the way. Okay. Every day there are about one hundred million acts of intercourse globally. One hundred million people are having sex every day. But then I said to myself, because I'm crazy, let's do some math. There are three to four billion people in the world. Three to four billion. And only a hundred million are having sex. That is a depressing figure. Then couple in that the longest they're having it for is probably about seven minutes. Either sure. that or they're on some damn show in a box having sex. <laughs> <laughs> Totally useless information podcast. And look over there. Look what I see. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mail? Vito from Connecticut writes. Dear Nick and Hello, Roy. Vito. Hi, Vito. You think he's French? We love your show and find that I'm learning a lot from your podcast. Well, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> he's a stupid man. <laughs> wow. I love baseball. and No, actually, he's quite smart because uh, I think he's signed a doctor. So I think he's a doctor or something. Ooh. Anyway, so Dr. Dr. Vito? Dr. Vito. Yeah, and so where's he from, Nick? Connecticut. Dr. Vito from Connecticut. Sounds like an educated man. He's a doctor. He listens to our show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what his major was in in college. I love baseball, he writes, and have heard that many times during the broadcast that the player, when the player hits a home run, it's because it was right in his wheelhouse. Right mm. in his wheelhouse. So where did the expression, the wheelhouse, come from? Well, in baseball, it refers to the location of a pitch that makes it easy to hit for a player. It's usually a pitch waist high over the heart of the plate. And the origin of the expression probably comes from a ship. If you've been on a large boat, and it's large enough to have a wheel, like a steering wheel, you'll recall that's typically a room that's enclosed around the wheel. That's the wheelhouse. Can I stop you for one second? Yeah. Vito, did you yeah. realize that this answer was going to take this damn long? <laughs> wheelhouse is located in the command center, typically located for good lines of sight to both the vessel and the water surrounding it. So, yes. The wheelhouse is, is referred to a baseball and also the wheelhouse of a ship. Thank you, Dr. Vito, for your email. So you're done with the whole wheelhouse thing for Vito? Yeah. Sorry, did you go for a sandwich? Vito, thanks, for, doctor, for hijacking the whole damn show. Dr. Vito. I said, yeah, thanks, Dr. Vito. You hijacked the whole damn thing. 
But anyway, okay. I got my mailbag. I've got Carrie. Carrie says it's Carrie with an I-E, which I don't know why that is. I guess maybe the letter Y. You could do Carrie with Y, but I've always seen Carrie spelt with an I-E, but whatever. Okay, Carrie is from Nebraska. And get ready, Nick. Get ready for this, because Nebraska. <laughs> okay. Carrie asks, what part of New York did you and Nick come from? Because my husband, Rick, is from Buffalo, New York. Okay. And she says, maybe we know Rick from Buffalo, New York. <laughs> so, <laughs> what? <laughs> I guess because if you are from Nebraska, you might say, it's Carrie from Nebraska. Do you know Carrie because you're from Nebraska? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's three people in all of freaking Nebraska. But Carrie, listen, please, I did some research for you so you understand I'm not trying to be smart with you. But there are 8.3 million people in New York. 8.3 million. So the odds of me knowing Rick from Buffalo, you didn't even give me his last name. Okay? There are 54,000 square miles, Carrie, 54,000 square miles of New York State. So Rick could be hiding anywhere for all we know. But of course, there's 54,000 square miles. And oh, by the way, yeah, we probably do know Rick. <laughs> but just so I can answer her question, me and Nick met in the Bronx. The Bronx is a borough of the city of New York City itself proper because there's a state in New York City where Manhattan is and so on. And, and the Bronx is a borough. So that's where we met. And uh, <laughs> and thanks for yes. your question. And hey, Rick, you probably no, I, know us. I get the same thing. So I live in Toronto, Canada. And so I, I, I come across some people would talk and they go, I have a cousin who lives in Vancouver. Now, Vancouver is clearly on the other side of Canada, okay? So if, <laughs> if, if Toronto is New York, then Vancouver is California, miles. okay? 3,000 some odd miles, okay? Vancouver is twice as far away that you and I are between New York and, and the Toronto and Florida. So they'll ask me, do you know my cousin? And I say, well, what's their name? Well, it's uh, Frank. Frank from Vancouver? Yeah, do you know him? I said, no. Frankie. So... <laughs> yeah. So Carrie with an IE, thank you for your oh, email. Really, we friend. do really appreciate it. And everyone else out there, our email address is tuipodcast at outlook.com. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mail? Where do expressions come from? I don't know. Expressions come from we want to know right now. Totally useless information podcast and Roger that. In the 1940s, American military and mm. British uh, Air Force used a spelling alphabet different from the well-known Alpha Bravo Charlie. The letter R was used and is abbreviation for received back in those times when messages were sent via Morse code. And the practice of confirming that a transmission was received okay. by sending an R was extended to the spoken radio communication when two-way radios came around in World War II. The phonetic alphabet used by the British and British and American military during the World War II was Abel Baker Charlie. 
Queen Roger Sugar. So when a soldier or radio operator said Roger after receiving transmission, he was saying R for received. And now it's Roger that. Cool. Okay, see, folks? I think you can hit the, the button for that yes, one, Nick. Absolutely. That was useful. I think those soldiers, when they got, like, leave time, they Ooh. would go and paint the town red. Well, it all started and literally started in 1837. Henry Barefoot, the third Marquis of Waterford, so his name is Henry Barefoot, he decided, he was a very rich guy, and he was the Marquis of Waterford, and he decided to get his friends together and go to town and get, get a little crazy drinking. And before they got to town, they saw this worksite area, and they stole a bunch of buckets, and it happened to be red paint in them. When they got to town, they got so drunk that they began painting doors and storefronts and the street and any damn thing they could find, they just started painting red until eventually the people were complaining that somebody painting everything red in town. The cops couldn't get them because there was a bunch of them, so they had to wait for a whole bunch of cops, and then they finally arrested them. But it created such a scene that it became when you wanted to do something crazy and have like a really cool night out, you'd That's say, amazing. we're That's going to paint cool. the town red. It was a, Maybe it was a watershed moment. The idiom water the idiom uh, not idiot <laughs> the idiom watershed moment came into use in the mid 1800s. A watershed moment, of course, is a turning point. The exact moment when the changes of a direction of an activity or a situation. A watershed moment is a dividing point, and the word watershed is used literally to mean an area of land that divides the flow of separate rivers or the high ridge from which water flows into a body of water. It is a division between land and water, and from the mid-1800s, a watershed moment is a turning point. See, folks, if you listen to this show, you're going to tell people something that you heard on this show. Yes. I think today it'll probably be about the hairy pantyhose or the stupid kid mop. <laughs> but, but you can say the stupid stuff, folks, because we did. <laughs> but Okay, so uh, let's get back to square one now we've all heard that expression this is a good one for hundreds of years there's been a game called snakes and ladders and that game is a game where you put a, a die on on the thing and then you roll the dice and you move it squares so if you get six you move six squares if you land on a snake you go back to square one which means to start over again this was such a famous game that it was somehow derived all over the world in different names and so on and so forth, but the concept pretty much stayed the same. If you landed on a snake, you went back That's to true. square one, which meant go back and start over again. Are you a loose cannon? I wasn't asking you. <laughs> Only for less than seven minutes. A loose cannon is a dangerously uncontrollable person or thing. In the days before ships were <laughs> with fixed turret guns, the muzzle-loading cannons were mounted on wheels and they were rolled back and forth between gun ports. A gun not properly secured would break loose from either from the force of the recoil or from the jostling of the vessel in choppy waters, presenting a hazard to sailors, the loose cannon. Cool. See? That's a cool one, too. Okay, Nick, oh. you're such a goody two-shoes. 
Where did the expression goody two-shoes come from? Well, it's actually a book called The History of Little Goody Two-Shoes, published in 1765. And it's a story of a girl, a poor, poor girl who only had one shoe. So as this little orphan was hopped her name, around what was town, her name Eileen? <laughs> she was very... No, she had one shoe. But you can't no. run around town in the 1700s right. with no shoes on. There's nothing but that. I mean, going to hurt your feet. And so everybody felt bad for the one-shoe girl. And they should have said the, the book should have been called The Miracle of the One-Shoe Girl. But whatever. The girl's going around with one shoe. Everybody's feeling bad for her. But she's so nice to everybody. She does nice things for everybody. So eventually this very wealthy person came over and said, Come over here, little girl. You're such a good girl. I'd like to give you a pair of shoes. And so the, the, the when she got back to town, the people said, oh, she got a pair of shoes because she's so good. She's I wonder if she shoes. knows Rick from the Bronx. Where do expressions come from? I don't know where. I don't know where. Where do expressions come from? We want to know right now. How quick. How quick. Hey, listen, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Really, honestly, we um, we appreciate everybody listening. Please do us a favor. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on YouTube because now YouTube is becoming a really big platform for us because of the video. So if you subscribe, you'll get every show from us. Tell a friend about the trend. We will be with you again, as we promised, next time. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Thanks for listening. And good night to Rick and Buffalo. Buffalo.